Welcome to another episode of Comfortable Change, everybody. Today, I am joined by Miss Susan Brown. My name's Danny. For those of you who have not listened before or joined us, uh, Susan is a therapist and is a certified brain injury specialist in Colorado. And it's also an artist, a writer, and an avid volunteer in several communities. I love that bio. That's so beautiful. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here and thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I'm super excited to be talking about this kind of thing. And I thought maybe today we'd start with a quote, which we actually talked about earlier, just full disclosure. (laughs) But the quote I wanted to start with today is by the Greek philosopher Heraclitus, who's quoted as saying, change is the only constant in life. And I feel like this sentiment is echoed across many different cultures throughout time, throughout the world, and it's just kind of generally accepted as something we all have to deal with as part of nature, as part of life, and kind of like how we cope with change is different from person to person and within different communities. But it's kind of cool to just explore that entire concept. Anyway, I know you said you also had a quote you were thinking of earlier Did you want to share that at all? Yes. Funny enough, I've spent so much of my life thinking about the subject change. And my senior year high school quote was, change is inevitable, acceptance is the key. And I keep thinking about that over the years, how we work with acceptance. And I'm not sure if I completely agree with my 18-year-old self (laughs) now. Uh, uh, how how it's approached and how it's different for everybody in their lives. I do think that acceptance is a part of it, of that we are in this river, in this greater flow that changes the only constant. And I think also the aspect of death and dying and life too, right? We don't have a whole lot of guarantees in life other than that we will die, right. which is a pretty big thing to start with. <laughs> <laughs> However, (laughs) however, we can expect change and the flow. I thought a lot about the subject leading up to this podcast. And I think that flow and the river and that whether we're fighting upstream or going downstream with it, there's a lot to say for this subject. So where else can we go? (laughs) 100% agree. I guess, how would you define change just like in your own words or like from your profession within that context? Because I feel like that sometimes means something different to everybody. So for me personally, when I hear the word change, I think of something we're altering or improving or big things that have happened. It could be an event like something subtle or something really profound that has altered the way that we currently expected, or it's even something that we can consciously (laughs) alter, right? For me, change is just like the movement of, of life and the flow, but also the experience of external things happening that have an impact on us. And sometimes there's a subtle impact all the way to profound impact on how we feel, see, think about the world. In my work as a therapist, you know, it's usually a lot of the conversations are about different types of change and transitions that people are grappling with. And they're usually the more impactful kinds, like a death or a loss of work, 
I think grief and loss is also tied in there a lot because we grieve change. We want things to stay the same (laughs) Uh, as much as possible. And we don't like it. (laughs) There's also like attitudes of embracing change. Again, back to the uniqueness of a person. I guess the best way I can frame that right now yeah, I love that. So I think of oftentimes like change being something something new has entered our lives, whether it's some new thing, new situation, just something is different than before. I think you had mentioned this in um, our previous conversation about stability and change often represents like instability for a lot of people. And I think probably some like super primal part of our brain, like the brainstem, right, is very much like wanting to feel safe and secure and like stable in some way. And, and that, that like jars us. A hundred percent. hundred percent. We, the stability aspect, when you mentioned brainstem, that's really an interesting conversation because the brainstem is those, the primal functions, right? And Then we have the limbic and the executive functioning and all the different things going on in the brain and our neurology and our body. When change happens or something new comes in, many of those aspects of ourself can be impacted and how we navigate the way that we feel and what has happened is a big part of it. I think On a brainstem level, you know, let's say somebody's in a car accident. That's a huge, you know, change event that can permeate the person's whole life, right? And then there's these other subtle things like the way we think and the way that we can direct our our mind. So I'm not entirely sure where I'm going with this. (laughs) I'm just kind of (laughs) reflecting. And it made me think about like stability is kind of an illusion, We believe that we're stable. We ground into things like our home and our family and our sense of self and our identity. And when something gets shaky, we feel unstable. Yet for those of us who have explored, you know, psychology, consciousness, different types of dynamics and experiences that show us that many parts of ourselves are actually what we create underneath it all, it's like there's this illusion that we're all living under, that we're stable, if that makes sense. Yeah. In our sense of self. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I know that makes sense to me, but I know we've also, for those of you who don't know, Susan and I also used to work for the same um, yoga and mindfulness organization. So I know that actually helped me understand illusions, basically, the illusion of like how our mind perceives things, I guess. And so my... I'm, I'm guess I'm just trying to think of how, if that's a more difficult concept for people to understand, like that if stability is an illusion, like what does that mean? Yeah, I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on like how, st- how stability is an illusion? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, we walk around in the world or however we get around with this perception of who we believe ourselves to be the way that we grew up, our personal history, our kind of ego state, the way we think, the way we feel. And and then that brings us stability, right? And a sense of security. 
But then when we have these big things happen, let's say that change is a death or an accident or, uh, or a baby or whatever it is, those aspects of ourself get altered and changed along with that change. Those changes kind of show us that life is ever moving and what we're talking about and that who I was 10 years ago is different than who I am now. So in some ways at the core, who I thought I was and who I am now is a little bit of an illusion or some people believe it's a lot an illusion. (laughs) (laughs) And so it also depends on your belief, your beliefs too, of who, who you are and how you believe the world to be and how we make meaning and purpose um, of things in our life and also disillusion. So let's say you're 20, you have a certain belief like that the world should be a certain way. And then you're 40 and you've experienced another 20 years worth of being on the planet. (laughs) And you could have a very different belief, right? Which one's accurate? Which one's right? Which one's wrong? Who's to say? I love that. I love that. So that's where I'm kind of going with the like, stability is a little bit of an illusion. And I know I'm going everywhere with this, but we think we're stable and we can feel stable, yet anything at any moment could shake it up and alter and change the way we are and even who we believe ourselves to be. Absolutely. Well, I think it's also wild that a lot of people, right, have a a fear of change, right, or discomfort with it, at least. It's kind of crazy to me that, like, despite that, like, every day in our daily lives, there are little changes happening, but we just kind of, we don't notice them anymore. Like maybe one year old or something, you start to know all these new things. You notice changes on a daily basis. So you're excited about it as like a little kid versus as you get older, you stop noticing certain things. Like I'll give this examples more recently from my personal experience. Where I live now, there was a field across the street, just sort of this kind of like abandoned field, nothing going on, giant fence around it. But I would always look out into that field. There's all these rabbits and like skunks and like stray cats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. It was, it just brought me a lot of peace to like have that little bit of nature in the city. That was just like this wild piece of, of land in the midst of the urban jungle. Then a couple years ago, we got noticed that they were going to build a six story apartment building on top of it. They started that maybe a year or two ago now. For me, the change started with that information, finding out that they were, that the field was going to go away and like that a building was going to be there instead. And I already like, just with that information, it made me sad. It made me angry. It made me frustrated. Mm -hmm. All these emotions stirred up and nothing had even happened yet. It was just information. Information is change in and of itself. And then when it starts to materialize, we either become more comfortable with it or more emotional <laughs> about it um, because now there's a six-story story building across the street and everyone's like, oh, well, there's could be like a cool grocery store or like a gym across the street now. Maybe they'll put something fun in. I'm like, yay, positive side of things, but I miss my feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is that is a really perfect example of how the adjustment process happens. It can be the information filtering in and how do we feel about that information and the intensity of emotion that comes with it. So I'm frustrated, I'm sad, I'm angry, or I'm in shock. And then 
and we attempt to make the best of it. How can I shift to a positive mindset? Some people are at different rates of that. They'll automatically shift it to a positive. And then depending on the impact that it has on you, it's how long is it going to take me to adjust to that and what it really means to me in my life. This story of the field is and nature and the beauty and childhood and the awe. You know, it's easy, easy for us to experience awe as a child because we're in it. (laughs) (laughs) We get older and things come in and the kind of heaviness of life and the challenge of life and adulting, as we say, and we start to lose that awe. And that is what is one of the greatest antidotes, actually, to this conversation we're having about change and how do I handle change. So this is like an interesting segue. And I think that it's really important to honor whatever we feel in the moment it's happening and, and be mindful of, okay, how are my thoughts responding? How are my emotions responding to this change and my body? How do I care for myself? And also without overdoing it either. Right. We can get lost in self-care and kind of like overdoing that piece. But okay, so this change has happened and what does it really mean? The flip side is if I listen to your story of the field, it's like, okay, now I know that what is important to you and what you value. So I value nature and the beauty and the now something is happening (laughs) that is counter to that, right? Right. So what do you value and what is going to help support you in that change? So maybe that field is now going to be destroyed, right? Let's be real about that. Or that tree got cut down or whatever it is. And I need to grieve that. Mm -hmm. And then through that grief, There is a process of coming out the other side of finding more gratitude or contentment or connection or something that's going to bring me into a more positive space with whatever just happened. I love that. I'm so glad you said that about the gratitude, because as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking too about like, I guess change is kind of cool in the sense that it makes you think more deeply. Because if we use the field as an example, no matter what kind of change is happening in in your life, it's ultimately one thing is being kind of destroyed and going away and something new is being created. I feel like it's important to be conscious of what we're creating or conscious or aware of what kind of change is happening as it's happening, if we can, and being grateful for the chance to create something new because maybe we're letting go of something that's that's no longer helpful to us. I guess that also requires a, a bit of discernment and like, okay, what, like you said, what is really important? Right. There's death and dying and then there's birthing and birth. <laughs> <laughs> and things are on the way in, things are on the way out. And there's the seasons and transitions in between the seasons. We mark these things in time. In my work with clients and my work with myself, I think it's really important to mark things in time. And that's where ceremony comes in. And people also connect with things like ritual if they happen to have a faith or belief system. And I don't think we'll get too far down that rabbit (laughs) hole, but... uh, (laughs) Episode um, two, Susan and Danny. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Let's talk about that. Yeah. I'm Uh, down. I'm down for that. Spirituality, all that fun stuff. But 
one of the things that we've lost in our modern contemporary culture is marking things in time and honoring them. Like, do we have rites of passage? I'd say the biggest ones we have are funerals, birthdays, and weddings, right? Right. And maybe a sweet (laughs) 16 if you're like... Sweet able to do that. Quinceanera, you know, mm-hmm. quinceanera. It depends. It also depends on your culture, your family, right. um, everything, right? Like who you are. But I think just as a general statement in our Western modern world, we've lost a lot of that. 100% agree. So ceremony of some kind, even if it means like coming back to the field again. Okay. That's something that if it comes into true fruition and manifestation of, yeah, they're actually going to physically do that. What do I need to do for myself? Do I want to write something in memory? Do I want to go to that physical place and, and even say goodbye? Do I want to light a candle or, you know, there's things that we can do that physically mark that, that brings a sense of completion and kind of like centering. And when we, when we're not really doing that, it just keeps moving and moving quickly. (laughs) There's a tendency to just, it's moving so fast. And then we're in some kind of traumatized state, right? So taking the time to do that when we can, sometimes we can't, it's getting basic needs met. Right now we're talking from a very privileged standpoint, right? But if we really get real, especially a lot of the folks that I work with, change means I lost my house. I'm going to be homeless or I am homeless. My car got broken into. I have to go down to the food bank today. You know, basic needs are not being met. How do we like support each other in that? And the conversation that we're having right now, you and I, is more coming from a place of when our basic needs are met and we have the time to like work with ourselves and our emotions and our, who we are as people. So I just wanted to like throw that in there too. <laughs> no, I'm so glad you did. Cause I really appreciate and love having those deeper conversations. Cause that's something I've been working on myself, but I'm glad that you acknowledged it and brought it up. Yeah. Because this is a very different conversation depending on who we're talking to and what's going on in the world at a broader scale. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, absolutely. We have the opportunity to be able to look at ourselves you and I or folks, depending on, you know, what's going on with your socioeconomic and your finances, abundance, stuff like that. Like we get to have the time to look at this. It's not that simple. Right. <laughs> right. However, at the same time, the folks that I work with that are facing a lot of these really difficult situations, and man, some of them are incredibly resilient, incredible people. There's doing the best they can with life and what they have. And we all are dealt different hands when we come into the world. And whether, you know, you're dealt a pretty crappy hand or uh, dealt (laughs) a hand where you have a lot of resources and access to stuff, we all suffer. A lot of the antidotes to struggling with change of like what I've come to realize is that at the core The antidotes have to do with a sense of belonging. When we have people we can turn to, whether it's one person or a support system or a community, that when we create community and connection and care for each other, that is one of the biggest antidotes of being able to ride out challenging changes. And 
the belonging and the community and then reconnection with nature. Coming back to illusions, we have an illusion that we're separate from nature. (laughs) (laughs) And we are nature. Our bodies are made of the elements of the earth and water and, and air. And we are a part of it. And we get lost. Same thing with the field again. Why is the field with the animals so important? It's because that is who we really are, is a part of nature and connected to it. And and we are it. And this is one of the biggest things that I see with people. And sometimes I'll give people homework. Hey, just go outside once a day (laughs) and look up at the sky. Like even if you're in an urban environment, just open your door or look out the window, look up, look at the sky, look at the clouds, look at the stars. If you can see them, maybe you can't see them because there's too much light pollution, but look up and that act of looking up actually opens us up to a sense of a greater picture, a sense of hope and connection. Or I'll give people homework to like watch stand-up comedy or something (laughs) because it's like we need to feel in community and laughing and having humor and fun and connecting to each other and connecting with nature, having a sense of belonging, connecting back to our hearts rather than our heads. So that's my big long speech. No, that's no, that's perfect. You're like reading my mind today because I was just going to ask what you find to be most helpful for, I guess, across the broadest range of people in terms of coping with change. And I feel like at least in part, that sounds like that's looking at nature, going outside, finding community. Sounds like those are two pretty big ones. Were there any, those are huge. Mm-hmm. Are there others? Are there other <laughs> other uh, techniques or um, suggestions that you would have? Yes, you know we talk about this as like a little cliche, like attitude of gratitude, right? Yet, truly, honestly, gratitude. And a friend of mine who I want to mention who has influenced a lot of this conversation we're having, a friend of mine who's a ceremonialist, uh, his name is Jude Sky, talks a lot about appreciation. Mm-hmm. So when we have gratitude and appreciation, it changes our mindset. Gratitude is like a gateway. I can almost like envision an image of like an actual archway or something where when we step towards that archway of gratitude, we are like kind of declaring like, I want to open myself up to remember the positive or be in connection with what I have and to be grateful that I'm alive and for what I have, and that this is another day. And, you know, in like AA and other, you know, methods or or groups, it's like one day at a time, one hour at a time, sometimes one minute at a time, right? Gratitude provides us the opportunity to, to come back to our hearts of like, whoa, I have a glass, and there's water in that glass. And that's clean water that I can drink. I have water coming out of my faucet. I have a toilet I can flush. So even when I have that client that's like facing homelessness or whatever's happening, it's like, okay, what? I'm always careful about how I approach it because of whatever state they might be in. But it's like, what can we be grateful for today? Or what's three things that happened this week that were positive? Because we spend so much time meandering in the negative. And we have programmed each other to hang out in the negative and commiserate, right? Right. About what's wrong. 
what, what, what's right. You know, I'm, I'm talking to you right now, <laughs> you know, I'm grateful and we've got technology and we have, uh, especially in our Western world, we forget so easily and it's more, 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 more. Right. So I can be grateful if I really sit and look at what's around me, we can be grateful for anything, just the fact that we're breathing. So that archway of gratitude and then appreciation has like a different flavor. <laughs> and and this is something that my, my friend highlighted in a recent conversation. You know, it's a, a way of it then expressing the gratitude and showing that and expanding on it and then you know, sharing that with other people, right? So it's not just my gratitude for whatever is around me and what I have and what I'm connected to, but how do I then appreciation is like expanding out into the world and sharing with others and letting them know how, how we feel. And that's a different kind of gift. I think that then that gateway can bring us closer into some of these other aspects of like having compassion strengthening our resilience, love, empathy, and, and those other core aspects of, you know, nature and community, uh, and then humor. <laughs> <laughs> humor and fun, which I need more of all the time. Uh, we all need more same. of Same. That's actually one of my goals is that, like, <laughs> I want to become able to be more funny because usually when I'm funny, it's by accident. <laughs> 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 so I would like to, you know, expand that skill, I guess. I think that's something that would be a really cool community activity, I think, is like practicing being humorous together, like telling jokes together. And like, so I, this is something I've been thinking about a lot too, is telling jokes, right? So this is something I literally have never done. I've been very like scared to do it, but I have observed a lot of people making jokes um, and sometimes they're good. Sometimes they totally fall flat and are horrible. More and more, I have an appreciation for the people that put themselves out there and just like try and keep on trying, even if they failed with whatever joke they were telling or story they were telling, because that risk requires like being vulnerable. Right. And I feel like if you make that like a practice can be a form of building up resilience and but also like incorporating humor and like creating some kind of coping mechanism for the crazy worlds that we live in. But uh, am I making sense? <laughs> yes, all of it make, made sense. Yes, 100%. It's true. I think that that's huge resili uh, resilience factor. And I love that you said vulnerability because it is putting oneself out there. And then if your joke falls flat, then you can also laugh at that and you can laugh at yourself people I'm connected to and, and the communities and, and things. And my experience is the clowns of the world and the Hayokas, which is, you know, a, a term in indigenous communities there, the Hayokas are honored for being the ones that wake us up through humor. I love that. And How beautiful. Yeah. It can be anything from that funny thing that just like sharp and awakens you to the thing that's painful and you didn't want to hear it <laughs> all the way to like a, a mystical kind of aspect of like, what the hell are we doing on this planet and our lives? It's like, <laughs> 
it's uh, going back to that same person I keep re- referencing. It's like he often sa- says, you know, we are on this planet Earth at going at 67,000 miles an hour hurtling through space. How are we here? <laughs> what are we doing? How did we get here? <laughs> it's kind of a big, funny cosmic joke, right? right? Like, and we don't laugh enough. That's also one of the uh, beautiful things of like hanging out with different uh, people and communities is that, you know, some folks are really, really funny and it's like, let's just laugh, you know? So we're talking about it right now. (laughs) And then we want to turn it into practices or experiences or growth edges, which is great. But like, how about just being present and living it, you know, like, how do you get there? How do you laugh at yourself? Yeah. And life and what we're all doing. So there's a couple other things that I, I kind of brought with me today, things I was thinking about. And I do think that with change, I was, I kind of went straight into stability being an, an illusion and all this stuff and sort of jumped over the reality of like, yes, we need stability. We need uh, predictability. And when that gets shooken up, what are the touchstones that we have in our life? And and I think that that term touchstone is really important. And I just wanted to bring that too, because that could really help a lot. Thinking about what are your touchstones that help you staying st- safe, secure, could be a person, a place. Oftentimes we talk about external things. Therapists have lots of tricks of like, literally using a worry stone (laughs) or a touchstone of helping somebody with anxiety or depression or um, very specific types of interventions, as we say, that can help somebody in the moment. And like learning who you are and what works for you and what are your touchstones. So that would be one of the things that I would like uh, encourage listeners to think about as like a question, like, what are my touchstones? What do I value? What's what's important to me? And then if you need support with like learning a different practice, you know, mindfulness-based practices are really great for the internal touchstones of how you can support yourself when you're going through pure chaos or instability or dysregulation and, you know, don't know what's happening in life and, and even who you are. I would just suggest that. And then I have a couple different resources that I wanted to mention as well. One of them that we uh, used in my counseling graduate program is a book called Transitions. Um, Transitions, Making Sense of Life's Changes. It's by William Bridges. And it goes through all these different topics of different types of change and transition and how to kind of work with those processes of change. And then also the, what we call in the mental health field, disenfranchised grief. So disenfranchised grief are the grief, grief, things that we grieve that we don't really talk about. They're kind of invisible. We don't accept each other for, and it's a real problem in our society. It's disenfranchised (laughs) (laughs) means like it's not okay that I am a 40-year-old white male that just experienced a divorce. 
people don't care that that happened to me. Right. And they're like, maybe they might be like, oh, sorry, you know, for a couple months or something. But what if that person continues to be impacted five years later? Like, why don't we allow each other to talk about the depth of grief or, you know, you lose a cat, let's say. And it's like that cat could, the impact of that loss could be greater than like a death of a human for some people. Right. But we like categorize that you're only really supposed to grieve in certain ways and in certain contexts, disenfranchised grief is like a a whole nother thing of (laughs) like having compassion for whatever you're going through and whatever the change is that's happened. And so coming back to that book, I would really recommend that one, Transitions, because that that's really what we're talking about when it has to do with change, is adapting to something new, something different. It's a transition. Another one uh, for folks that might be interested in the idea of non-attachment or like the flow of life and are interested in things like Taoism or Buddhism or or some of those concepts. Um, Comfortable with Uncertainty is a really great book by Pema Chodron. The first time I heard the title, I was like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that title. Comfortable with Uncertainty. That like just the title like changed me and blew my mind. I was like, how, how, (laughs) how do we do that? So if you like that, that's a good one. And then I always have to plug (laughs) Viktor Frankl everywhere, always. So he was a psychologist who was working on a manuscript and some theories during the uh, Nazi regime. And he ended up in uh, several concentration camps. Through the experience of being interned, really looked at the kind of soul of humanity and what makes people be able to live through some of the most horrific circumstances. And that is how he wrote the book, you know, Man's Search for Meaning, and how when we find meaning in something that or hope that we can attach to, that can carry us through just about anything in life. And he describes his own internal experience of, of, of how he survived concentration camps and the kind of love that he had for his wife. And even just the fantasy of getting to see her again was what kept him going. And the fantasies that we have that are connected to love and hope and creation of meaning we are like meaning-making machines constantly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do you harness meaning-making conscientiously to create something you know good in your life like as a tool? So I would highly recommend that one. I think like, I know we have just a little bit more time. I do want to kind of like give a shout out to one of my um, Naropa University professors, the uh, uh, university that I went to is a little bit of an un- unconventional kind of education. And we studied transpersonal um, psychology, which is the psychology that encompasses kind of all different forms of psychology, but also includes consciousness studies and uh, 
looking at people's faith and religion and spirituality and kind of higher connection or existential looking at uh, these larger issues. Um, and that, and including um, atheism and, and, and um, scientific and practical approaches. Um, uh, it's a really beautiful uh, form of psychology. And one of my professors, Joe Selma, awesome. I had a couple classes with him and he had this way of thinking about change, like a template or a, a philosophy that I believe he was going to write about. I don't know that he has, <laughs> um, but he presented it to us in class. And I was like, man, that is an awesome one. And I have like carried it with me ever since. And he, he shared that um, this idea of predictability and novelty that, and this, this relates to change in the stability aspect, right? And then we can create positive novel things or whatever it is, but it's that kind of who we are as people, we have a natural tendency to want things to have a certain level of predictability or novelty. But then depending on where we're at in our life and the development of who we are, we might need more predictability, or I might need more novelty. So it's like, if you've gotten stuck in a rut, and it's mundane, and it's super predictable, and it's just like, nothing new is coming in, it seems like, and it's just monotonous, then the balance is off, we need to bring in the newness and the change and the novelty and the beauty of life. If Maybe you have a lot of novelty, a lot of excitement, a lot of change, and you crave it and you actually love it, but then you're noticing something's going on. Um, maybe there's a gap in relationships or something like that. You might need more predictability in your life, right? So it depends on every person, but I just love that template of thinking about where's my life predictable? And where is it novel? And are there changes that I can consciously make? Or can I also accept like, hey, I've had way too much unpredictability. This is not okay. I need to stabilize. How can I do that? And just like thinking about it from those two terms. So, okay, another big speech. <laughs> no, I love that. That's like, we're getting into the deep thoughts here. I'm telling you, we're going to have to do a whole series. <laughs> but those are, sounds like there's some great resources. So I'll be sure to um, post those for any of you guys listening on um, social media. Um, I know we have to wrap up, but was there anything else you wanted to add or share? Yeah, I really, you know, I think finding ways to connect with the people in our lives and nature, as I said before, is pretty huge. And if there aren't people in our lives, what are your, what are your interests that could bring you to a place where you get to be around more people that have similar interests and values as yourself? And then um, expanding that over time. And it may be a little bit oversimplified. Uh, I know it's complicated and it can be really tough, um, but remembering to find ways to connect with yourself and the, the like heart of who you are brings us a natural sense of stability and centeredness through change. 
or can also bring us more of an expansion and a perception shift of like, okay, this is what I'm going through right now. How can I look at this from another a viewpoint and, and really find clarity through that, you know, and, and also being kind to yourself too. Like we expect things to sort of happen easily or quickly and that's not really how life works. Right. In, in, instant gratification is just on the internet. Even then, even then. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I hope that like some of this has uh, brought in some different ways of thinking or, or something for whoever's listening. And I think like, as we wrap up, I would just, you know, want to say whoever's listening you know, you, you clicked on this, <laughs> you're listening to it. <laughs> I hope that you got something out of it and that there's, there's beauty in, in your life and finding ways to connect with that and, and, and keep going and whatever works for you. I think in our darkest moments, you know, we, we can hit a bottom or many bottoms and then that's also when the light can come. If that means something as simple as lighting a candle and looking at it for a little bit, try that. (laughs) I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing and for being on today. Um, I hope we can do it again, actually. I feel like there's just so much wisdom that you have to share. So that'd be awesome. Thank Um, you. I'd love to. to. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll plan out a a whole little series or something. But if you guys want to have uh, some more information about Susan, um, you can find more information. You can check it out at her website, which is bouldersamitacounseling.com. I hope I pronounced that right. You did. And Boulder is spelled with a U uh, for Boulder, Colorado. And Samita is S-E-M-I. T-A. It's uh, Latin for footpath. We are, we're on this path together. <laughs> so cool. Um, all right. And then, yeah, if you guys, I will be sure to list. Susan had a whole bunch of different references today and um, recommendations for you. So I'm going to put those in uh, the social media for Comfortable Change. So that's going to be Comfortable Change on Instagram and Comfortable Change podcast on TikTok, which I still haven't actually updated yet. So don't worry about that one. (laughs) I have it. There's just not really anything on TikTok, guys, right now. So maybe someday. Otherwise, I hope you all have a beautiful, wonderful day or night, whenever it is that you're listening to this. Um, Be sure to rate review and subscribe and we'll see you guys next time and thank you susan for being here hey guys thanks for listening to comfortable change the podcast if you enjoyed the show be sure to subscribe rate and review i'm always looking for feedback so if you have any questions comments or topics you'd like to hear about you can reach me at comfortable change on instagram see you next time